Welcome to the 363rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's the grand unifier of cardboard rectangles and your hard-earned treasure. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everyone. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into a week full of developments. But before we jump in, I do want to remind listeners that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. My friend, my brother, what is on the agenda this week? We've got four awesome segments lined up this week, James. We're going to kick it off with the metagame in review. We've got a challenge for Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy to talk about. Then we're going to get into segment two, the top movers of the week, both online and in paper. Segment three, you and I have some uh, picks we're going to discuss, as well as a Discord member pick. And finally, we've got segment four, our topic of the week. We're going to get into the uh, the top cards for each of the sets, including Commander, uh, each of the formats, I should say, including Commander, for uh, All Will Be One. Sounds good. Let's jump on into the metagame week in review. We're going to look uh, at Modern, Legacy, and Pioneer with an eye to how Phyrexia All Will Be One cards might be impacting those formats as people are conducting early testing. Over in the Modern Challenge from this past Saturday, February 12th, we have Yogmoth Combo in first, Blue Red Murktide in second, Jeskai Breach in third, Five-Color Domain making relatively rare appearance in 4th, Tron with two Cityscape Leveler from Brothers War in 5th, Obosh Midrange Red with four Bone Crusher Giant in 6th, and then Blue-White Control in 8th. The deck I think I most want to flag here is the Resurgent Amulet Titan build, which now has access to four times the Mycosynth Gardens, a new land out of Hyrexia All Will Be One that allows them to duplicate an amulet very early in the game and really go off fast. So the the fun thing is is that you get Urza Saga in the deck, which is already uh, annoying to go find the amulets, and now you have this land that will turn itself into a, a second amulet. And I don't know if you've seen... Uh, these uh, Amulet Titan decks uh, just kind of goldfish as they go through everything that's happening, but it gets uh, annoying with one Amulet in play. With two, now you're like at plus mana for every bounce land that you're playing, and it really gets out of hand really fast. So having the the redundant combo piece is really a, a strong addition here, and it, it activates and it's instantly the artifact. Like, you can't counterspell it as long as or you can't do anything about it except like destroy it once it's in play i would guess we're going to see a little more of titan now because of this this could make the deck 5 10 15 more consistent than it was before very very good at getting amulets on the table and uh in multiples between saga and microsynth gardens 
Now, over in the Legacy Challenge, it was a whole different card that was causing trouble. We have Blue-Red Murktide in first and second. The second place list was a little more traditional. The first place list was running three Mercurial Spell Dancer, which is another blue, unblockable 2-1 out of Phyrexia Obi-1. When you cast an on-creature spell, you put an oil counter on it. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you can remove two oil counters from it. If you do, when you cast your next instant or sorcery, the spell, you copy it. So basically what goes on here is you're playing very low to the ground, blue-red cards, you know, zero casting cost, one casting cost. And you're trying to get a couple of those off in the turn after you play this so that you can then cast one of those things back out of the yard and really start to build up advantage. This has got a Snapcaster... Dreadhorde Arcanist kind of feel to it and flew a bit under the radar during preview season but already looking like one of the standout rares at least in this legacy format where the average casting cost is so so low. The question on my mind of course is whether this can translate over to modern where you have a very similar Murktide list already that is also very low slung. Is Spell Dancer good enough for that format is a question that will need to be answered. Now, we also have Elves showing up in 3rd and 4th. The 4th place list was a fairly stock list. The 3rd place list included one Tyrannix Rex, of all things. And I saw that card kill somebody in Commander this weekend. So it's very interesting to see it as a top-end threat in Elves, where traditionally they've had things like Crater Hoof. There was also two copies in the top 8 here of a blue-white Oracle deck. So the the combo is Nomads in Core plus Cephalid and Illusionist. That's the one. Yeah, uh, but you can also use um, Shuko, uh, the equipment that equips for zero. Right. Uh, you're just going to target yourself uh, a redundant number of times, put your whole deck in the graveyard. Thassa's Oracle for the win. Gotcha. Uh, probably the most interesting list here, though, is there's sixth and eighth were reanimator lists. And as with the Merktide and Elves, there was a stock list in eighth, but the sixth place list was Atraxa Grand Unifier, showing up in Legacy as a four of in reanimator. The key here is that Grand Unifier is not an on cast trigger, it's a comes into play trigger, which of course reanimator pilots have every reason to love. And then that's going to draw you one out of the top 10 cards in your library. It's going to draw you one of each card type and put it into your hand, which is a massive amount of card advantage that could occur as early as turn two. I mean, you got 14 lands and you're looking at, uh, let's see, actual mana producing lands are, you've got eight fetches here and six mana producing lands. So you're really leaning on everything that you can do at the the super cheapest level. You're looking at Animate Dead and Dance of the Dead. You're trying to get that second mana in there. So anyway, uh, Attracts a Grand Unifier. Card to keep your eye on in Legacy. And it also put up top eight results in Pioneer and Standard this weekend. So doing a lot of work up front. Very reminiscent of when Niv-Mizzet uh, started to show up at, at the helm of Pioneer and Modern decks. Pioneer Challenge had Enigmatic Incarnation decks in 1st and 5th. The big addition here, uh, it's a serious upgrade for the deck, is getting Elish Norn Mother of Machines into the list because they can use early action to get a mom on board. And then all the other stuff they start bringing into play that has comes into play abilities gets doubled and anything the opponent's doing like that is, uh, you know, tuned down to zero. So for instance, if they play an Essicus Chariot, they wouldn't get the tokens. But if you put a, a creature into play that exiles a creature till it leaves, then that happens twice kind of thing. 
also worth mentioning this is uh it's a yorion deck of all things so you've got these incredible singletons because enigmatic incarnation lets you just uh find stuff whatever you need silver bullets yeah yeah silver bullets and then you've just got all this other stuff crammed in there and it's uh, just in case you need it it's also an extra 20 cards for yorion love it yeah love everything about it Red green mid range featuring two Miglaws Maze Crusher, a rarity of uh, one. Black red mid range looking pretty standard. Didn't detect anything new in there. That list is pretty tight already. Third and eighth for that uh, build. Mono green in fourth and seventh. And then Greasefang uh, looking also pretty stock in sixth place. So overall, we've got Mycosith Gardens, we've got Atraxa, we've got Tyrannix Rex, we've got Mercurial Spelldancer, Elish Norn, and Miglaws as all cards that these challenges put on the radar. Yep, it's uh, it, we, we're going to see a lot of these things kind of popping up as we go along, and with a Pro Tour coming up this weekend, uh, some of these might really become super popular. We'll have to... Is Pro Tour this out. weekend Pioneer? I believe it is Pioneer format, yes. Segment two, top paper movers. We've got Sword of Truth and Justice, the secret layer version by Nils Ham, going $25 to $33. This is because it's a proliferate card. When it hits, you get to proliferate, and there's all sorts of proliferation decks getting built, either with Atraxa or Atraxa Scion, or some people might be building other Infect-based decks in EDH. We were testing one this weekend with the Pro Traders, and it did pretty well. I think it ended up winning the game. I had a chance to knock them out with a Blightsteel Colossus in my Satoro deck, but I chose to go after the person with a bigger board presence and uh, ended up losing as a result. Artificer class out of uh, Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, 11 to 16. We saw this rising last week up over 10, and it's pushing a little further on the back of all the artifact decks that have been being built since Brothers War came out. We've also got Gemhide Sliver Foil Extended Arts out of the Secret Layer bonus cards going 35 to 52. This is one of the rarer ones and also an auto-include in any Slivers deck in EDH, up 49%. We've also got Mere Propagator and Mere Superion on the move because of all the Mere hype. Propagator going 2 to $4, Superion going 450 to 10 I can't say it enough, sell, sell, sell into Mere hype. I don't believe for a second that that's going to still be a thing in three months. Nope. But uh, it is funny to see how many mirror cards they've printed over the years. I just like if you'd asked me how many support cards they'd had for this tribe, I would have been like four. But we've seen, you know, over the last uh, three, four weeks, we've seen a lot of these different mirror cards, and anything that says mirror on it has been creeping upwards. So yeah, sell uh, like there's no tomorrow. I mean, we've been the mirror nine times plus. So <laughs> it's not, that's not, true too. Not that weird. Uh, Mishra's Factory Borderless out of the Secret Layer 30th Anniversary. Somebody took a swipe at these, $1.50 to $3.50. Not sure what they were thinking there. Uh, very few of these colorless creature lands have done anything from a spec potential perspective for quite some time. And that is exactly the kind of growth that only works out from my perspective if you're either selling on direct or you're going to sell into buy list. And I don't see the buy list catching up on this anytime soon, but time will tell. We also have Norn's Choir Master Extended Arts out of Phyrexia All Will Be One going a dollar to two fifty. That's probably uh, people picking up copies for Atraxa Proliferate builds again. Mercurial Spellcaster, of course, because of the top eight first place result in the Legacy Challenge, went from two fifty to eight dollars in paper. And I would sell into the hype. If 
Spellcaster shows up in Pioneer and or Modern alongside Legacy. That's one thing, especially if it's in Standard as well. But this is not going to be a big deal card in EDH. And as a result, I would expect it to float back down to a normal rare price tag. Legacy just isn't played enough. There aren't enough Legacy tournaments running these days, especially at the top levels, to support a Legacy-only spec. And we have seen a few different things show up in blue decks in Legacy in the last few years, and pretty much only there, that have swelled for about two to four weeks and then have collapsed. Uh, I think there was Kappa Cannoneer and some others. Oh, yeah, the Kappa Cannoneer. But uh, this is an excellent example of like a card that... There is going to be a whole lot of these coming. Yeah. They haven't all arrived yet. Uh, not everybody has done all their openings yet. And we're ta- we're not talking like the premium versions. You know, this is not the, the borderless. That's super just a regular foil. copy. This regular rare. So uh, you want to be selling these regular rares as hard as you can. Uh, this is a good card, but Fable of the Mirror Breaker, it is not. I've had a 95% sell-through rate on Phyrexia all will be one singles in week one very very popular set lots and lots of interesting cards lots of people willing to pay current prices to get their hands on stuff early you want to be if you cracked any of this set you want to be selling into this hype as fast as possible because a pile of inventory is going to land on tcg player direct and reset the market expectations within the next couple weeks i agree completely uh, we've got Explore Surge Foils out of 40k going 275 to 10. Same story week after week ever since October. Surge Foils being targeted. A mixture of players buying them for their decks and people thinking, ooh, they didn't make many of those premium decks. Let me get a little spec on, on hand. I mean, that's that's gonna we're going to see one of these in every week. Uh, remember a few years ago, there was like an invention, uh, every week, uh, no, not invention, an invocation every week. Yeah. We're going to see something like that going on here where, uh, it's just going to be like, okay, this is a popular card and this is a sweet version and there's not a lot in circulation. So yeah, let's see what we can do. When they first started printing old border foils, we saw a lot of that too. Like yeah. Set, sets the the from time the, spiral remastered ones. Yeah. You saw like set, sets from the nemesis era like the early 2000s and and just before uh, first five years of foils or whatever getting targeted fairly frequently. Moving on over to Magic Online. Big movers this week included Brimaz, King of Arescos, out of Born of the Gods. One ticket to almost three tickets. That's on the back of Pioneer Play in a blue-white aggro control list. There's Summoner's Pack from Modern Horizons 1 going from 0.5 ticks to almost $2 or two tickets. Uh, that's the Amulet Titan Resurgence, but the deck that card is also played as a four of in the Venerated Rot Priest combo list that people are trying to tune. Uh, when it works, that deck looks ridiculously broken. I've seen all sorts of wins on turn two or to turn three, and when it fizzles, it fizzles hard. It's very glass cannon, but I would imagine there will be some presence for that deck in the meta, especially if people figure out a little... If they can tune it mm, 10-15% more in terms of consistency or the deck gets another card sometime later this year, then you could definitely see it make a big impact. So far, we haven't seen it show up in a top eight, but as soon as it does, whether or not it does, will likely determine the whether this card is going to sink, like I think Mercurial Spellcaster will, or soar, like something like Fable of the Mirror Breaker or Ledger Shredder. So far, I would say Mygosynth Gardens, Spell Dancer, and uh, Tyvar and the venerated rot priest are the potentials 
for rares to take off, but they still have to earn that that right. I think that uh, the Rot Priest, um, I've been trying to make Super Friends work on Arena, and Rot Priest is a problematic card to interact with if you don't have exactly the right answers. So um, I think that in the assorted, and as you get into, you know, Pioneer and then into Modern and everything where it's just redundantly easy to get something up. We saw Ground Rift foils going crazy because like with one red mana, that's your store. That's half the storm count you need. And it's on target. Like you have to be really proactive with your removal. And if they've got instance in, res in response, then you're just, you know, you're out of luck. They can beat your one piece of interaction. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of watching Splinter Twin combos. Like, you, if you can beat the first piece of interaction they have, you win. It also seems very much like Grand Rift will end up being a $10 to $15 card on the back of this, if Rot Priest has any amount of staying power in Modern, because it is, believe it or not, one of the only cards in this era that has zero, zero additional printings. So it was printed in Time Spiral, and that's it. Didn't show up in Time Spiral Remastered. <laughs> None of the Modern Horizons with Storm. Yep. So this is it. There's, there's just those copies. And I'm sure that when I opened Time Spiral, I must have opened 30 or 40 of these. And I can't find any of them because I'm willing to bet I threw them all away. Yeah, you, you didn't think there was a point. Like, how many commons have you chucked over the years? And you're like, well, this one I wish I'd kept. We all have those stories. And you, you need to just, you know, be kind to yourself. I mean, this just, just doesn't look like the kind of card that has any chance in the future of being activated. No, it says target creature not. without flying can't block this turn. It's a sorcery for one red. <laughs> and the, the word storm on it, it just seemed less interesting than things like the one that does one damage for storm count or the one that makes goblins for storm count. Yeah, I, I can't find my ground riffs. But if you can, you might be able to get a pretty <laughs> solid buy list out in the very near future. I'm with you on that. Hopefully people are able to find theirs. Alrighty, I'm going to take a look here in the cards to watch, my first selection. I'm going to go with Enigmatic Incarnation Foil Extended Arts. These are out of Theros Beyond Death. People have been uh, starting to scoop these up on the back of this deck, showing up more in Pioneer. This is a bit of a glass cannon spec. There are We're down to just 16 listings. There are two copies under $10 currently on TCG Player. Over in Europe, you can still get them at five or six bucks very easily. Thing is, this isn't really a very popular EDH card, and this deck doesn't exist in any other format. So you're either a believer from a Pioneer perspective, or you are not. And if you don't believe that it's going to have staying power in Pioneer, just still stay well clear of this. But if you already import cards from Europe on a semi-regular basis and you've got your hookup, you go ahead and throw four, eight, 12 copies of these into a cart, you're probably going to do just fine. In terms of regular copies, there's a lot more of those sitting around, but those might also be an option since they are very, very cheap overseas. Huh. So you're you're saying that um, right now they're on TCG for you know ten to fifteen, and you can pick them up for six dollars uh, after the euro conversion. Correct. That seems pretty solid as long as you're not like having to just pay the shipping for only these. You know that can be a pretty rough uh, cost to add in, but. If it turns out that, um, especially if, you know, we're going to say this a couple more times, but if it puts up a good showing this weekend, like this is the kind of deck that can look really disgusting on camera. And it's exactly the kind of thing players love to do is to plan exactly what silver bullets to play in an 80 card Yorion deck. You're sacrificing your two or three drop enchantment and now you're going to find the perfect card. 
So uh, having the incarnations for cheaper, uh, you'd want to have. I'd want to have them on their way before the the Pro Tour hits this weekend. But uh, this seems pretty solid. I mean, if you're getting it for that much of a discount over what TCG is offering, it's kind of hard to screw this up, even if it is a Pioneer-only spec. At the beginning of your end step, you can sack an enchantment if you do search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost to one plus the sacrifice enchantments thing. So it's basically birthing pod, but you're trading enchantments for creatures that cost more. Right. Which, which requires a very specific deck setup. Now, this is only in something like 1,200 decks in EDH, probably because there's no commander in the top 30 that I can think of that would be, that would have an easy time building around this. You know, if it interacted with counters or something, then you might see an Atraxa build with it. But because it doesn't count counters or anything like that, it's going to be Pioneer only for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so that I, I understand the limitations you're placing upon this. I see why you're calling it a glass cannon, and... Even with that, I think it's a, a solid pickup. It's it's hard to argue with getting something in Europe for significantly cheaper than you would get it here. I wouldn't want to go, go super deep, but I think a couple handfuls probably do a bit of a flyer. But if it works out, you're to work out well. And like you said, you're already uh, putting your cart together on card market and, you know, just toss a few in there. Uh, don't worry about having to ship itself. I like that. All right. What's your first selection here? Uh, my first pick is uh, Deep Glow Skate, the regular frame foils from the original Double Masters. Uh, they're right now around 6 bucks on uh, TCG Player. The Secret Lair version is approaching $10 right now uh, in foil. There's not a lot of copies left. But considering like all the counter stuff that people are doing, I think this is a card that is about to hit a bigger jump. So we, we're seeing Atraxa go nuts, right? Original Atraxa that proliferates every turn. And Deep Glow Skate, when it comes into play, just doubles the counters on whatever permanents you want. Doesn't ask questions. It just, you pick the permanents, you double them. It doesn't double on players, sadly. So you can't do poison or energy shenanigans. But you can do all kinds of other things with this. And if you like proliferating, uh, this is going to be your card. These are super cheap. There's not a lot of copies on TCG right now anyway. And I think these are primed to hit a pretty big bump. The last few copies of the Nils Ham Secret Layer version under $10, I think I would scoop before I would scoop these. But once those are, say, 10 to 15, and these are still sitting at 6 for the Double Masters version, then I start to get a lot more interested in the lower price point. Um, the card's very good. It's got a proven track record. Counter interactions continue to be some of the most popular and profitable in Commander. It's not a card you're ever going to see anywhere else, but that doesn't really matter because Commander is still the central format and will be for the foreseeable future. So I think, I don't know if this is going to, you've got 12 to 18 here. You might do it in 6 to 12. Yeah, because the as you said, there just isn't that many. They've already given us a secret layer recently, so they probably won't again. And we're seeing a big resurgence in Atraxa-based builds. And if we look at top commanders of the past month, number one is Atraxa last week. Number one is Atraxa. So despite uh, all of the interesting new commanders, Urtet, Ixhel, Vizgraz, the Doomhive, and Elish Norn, as long, along with the other Atraxa Grand Unifier coming in at ninth on EDH rec, Atraxa is still the queen of commander. And it's not actually close. Urtet has 703 decks in the last week. Atraxa is at 1,230. Oof. The, her reign continues. Long may she reign. 
<laughs> Spoken like somebody who's put a ridiculous amount of time and energy into his. Speaking of another Atraxa that we flagged above, Atraxa Grand Unifier showing up in Reanimator caught my eye. It's a mythic. It has a step and complete foil. Those foils are currently going for about $50 on TCG Player as, as of this afternoon. So I go looking over on Harayuya, and they are sold out at 30,000 yen. So they're pricing those at $250. Presumably not because of Commander or any interest in the tracks as a character, but because of the legacy result. Now, will it continue in legacy? Who can tell? Will the Japanese buy list hold up, which is currently at about 150 US dollars? That's also who can tell. The last time we, we tried to fool around with the Japanese buy list at a distance, we were trying to get uh, the Wandering Emperor foil showcase copies over to Japan, and we were a little too slow, and some people got them in on time and made some good money. Some people sent them in, I think, a month later, and the buy list had collapsed by the time they got there. So... Is it going to collapse by two-thirds? Hard to say. But if you've got access to the Japanese market, and keep in mind to buy list to Harayuya, you have to have some a local on the ground. Now, there are pro traders that live in Japan, so right. both from my direct contacts in Japan and some pro traders that have put up their hand to help people in Japan, people inside pro trader definitely have access. Some of you out there, if you're vendors or you know have friends overseas, might be able to work something out as well. It's a big, big flip if you can make it happen because you can get these $50 copies get them in a FedEx package you know with a one week delivery and then just cross your fingers that could be plus 80 to $100 per copy so I think that step and complete uh, mythics she's a mythic right mm-hmm. so you're looking at uh, every 254.5 collector boosters to pull one and that's a that's a pretty high bar to get through that if you open a thousand a thousand uh collector booster packs you'll get four of these step and complete foils which uh look neat as hell uh you know it's nice to have the set symbol just repeated on there and it's going to be a pretty iconic look for some time but especially like if you're getting such a big premium on how it is uh it's just from greater demand or lower amount of product they've opened so far you think I think I think demand overwhelming initial product supply, and I I do believe that this buy list will collapse because the way it usually works to Harryuya is you have collectors and very hyper legacy players that that uh, bling out their decks that are going to go hard at these cards for four to six weeks, and then the copies that they're posting at those elevated prices will start sitting. They won't sell, so they'll drop their buy list to match. They'll drop the price to match until they sell again. And then that will settle at some new plateau. So this is absolutely a time-sensitive play. You've got to be in position to move fast on this, either by being a part of Pro Trader or having that connection to Japan. If you do, there's a big win to be had here. And I would imagine there will be some vendors that will absolutely take advantage of that if they are already regularly sending packages over to Japan. What? Um, how long does it take a package to get there? Because I, I remember the whole thing that we did uh, last time. What uh, what kind of shipping time are we looking at these days? I think we were shipping sub hundred dollar packages in terms of shipping cost, and they were landing within a week. Okay. And then it's really about your con like when does your contact have time? Because the thing in Japan is everybody works six to seven days a week. Yeah, it's busy time. Six days a week standard, like one day off. So they don't always, you know, you can't have like send it to somebody that's eight hundred miles from Tokyo, 
and expect that they're going to take a bullet train down there just to deliver your package. So what we would do is we would give the contact a percentage of the value of the package. And that kind of pushed us towards sending high value packages where five or six pro traders worked together and submitted thousands of dollars at a time. If you were just going to send two copies of the silver, you know, to get it there quick, it might not be worth it. But if you're willing to go in on, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 copies of, of the seven complete foils, then, you know, the shipping cost is kind of meaningless in that case. All right. So you're looking at, say, that this is only something you should do. Just to, to clarify for folks, are you thinking of purchasing any from TCG at its current $50? and then turning that around and trying to get it to the buy list in time? Or is this more of a play on what you might already have? I bought four this afternoon. I suspect that if it shows up in some more legacy challenges this week, it will get start pushing higher in North America. If it mm-hmm. doesn't, then the clock starts ticking on when Harry you will drop their buy list. Could last okay. a week, could last a month. Uh, I don't think I don't think it will last three months. So, right. No, I, I think three months is a you know considering how much product we're about to have. I, I don't think that's realistic at all. So if you're a west if you're a west coast operator in North America, you're in Vancouver, on you know in California, Oregon, Washington State, you can buy locally or order locally and get it in a package and fire it off. And you have shipping depots nearby, so that it's not bouncing across country before it goes to Japan. You'll have an advantage. Okay, I like just laying out when you're. When you talk logistics, uh, I like to be really, really clear with people. And yeah, I appreciate I, you. Both, and both, to be clear, both of these picks are great for me this week, but they're only great if you have the logistics lined up. And these can be a hell of a thing to set up ahead uh, for the first time. So uh, if you want help on uh, how to do this, please feel free to stop by the Pro Trader Discord. Uh, there's a lot of folks who have gotten started with this and can walk you through, like, if you've never had to do customs type things and how to make sure that you are covering your bases there as well. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. You just When you fill out a label for international export, you just put the value on it and fire. No big deal. James, I, I realize that it's no big deal to you, but uh, to folks who, you know, haven't really done it before, they might be feeling like it's a lot to do. And it, it can be pretty easy, but it can also be an intimidating thing. I, I would argue that the most intimidating part of selling or shipping anything is working with shipping logistics websites because they are a nightmare. That's also very true. I just filled out a FedEx form U.S. to Canada yesterday, and it was four pages long, and roughly 70% of the fields were absolutely pointless and had nothing to do with the shipment. (laughs) And that's because they have to cover every possible base, right? Right. And that form is set up to accommodate a a massive logistics company that is exporting petrochemicals or something, you know what I'm saying? And some of these websites, depending on which courier or mail service you're dealing with, will have a uh, light version of export forms or a shipping quotation that can be rolled into the booking of said shipping and the printing of a PDF. But yeah, that, that can be intimidating up front. Maybe we owe that an episode, uh, a topic uh, of the week at some point to walk people through the details. That's probably a good idea. We should write a guide about that or something too. Mm-hmm. All right, your your second selection of the week? My second selection this week is uh, a card near and dear to my heart, as I do love to play decks that are mostly one creature type. I think the time is right to dive in on a premium version of Cavern of Souls. The uh, Double Masters 2 Borderless Foils are down to about $75. 
you've got two other premium versions you're competing with. You're competing with the Zendikar Rising Expedition foils, which have that, like, kind of, which have more of a border to them and, you know, the regular size art. This is larger art. And you're competing with the Ultimate Masters box topper, which was much lower in quantity and is about $110 more. There's been a whole lot of printings of Cavern of Souls, and I don't think the time is ever going to be right to, like, spec on regular copies. But I think that there is really some room to grow on these particular borderless foils. Right now you can get them for about $75 on TCG. And these should, I think, at least get to the level of the Zendikar Expeditions, which is in the 105 range. I think they'll actually surpass it and end up around 140. You'll have a, a pretty happy growth when you notice it. I don't think they'll beat the box toppers because you get a much different uh, art size. And I think that's something that a lot of people really enjoy. But there's no walls on TCG. There's not a lot of copies left. Uh, prices have been at their lowest. And it's time to get your uh, sweet, sweet version uh, borderless foil. Yeah, 40 listings left, no major walls. And you got to crack a significant amount of product if you want to add a significant wall of this particular card. I think there is still Double Masters 2022 CBs lurking out in the market. Um, I would imagine, because if there wasn't, you would see that price already floating up, but instead it's been floating down quietly um, since release as people have moved on to additional hype cycles. This seems like a no-brainer. It's a, a massive card in Modern. It's a massive card in EDH. We don't have that many of them left. Prior premium versions uh, have posted very significant results. The only question I would have is how much is the... Cavern of Souls Expedition version going for these days in foil? Around uh, 105 when I looked uh, the other day. Or okay. Yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. So that currently looks like near mint low is closer to 92. So it's possible you might get in at 70 and settle in the 90 to 100 range and, and have a fairly modest return, but it's very unlikely that you will lose much money. I could see this version of Cavern having the possibility of dropping another $5 in the next six months and then there being a, a better entry point. But we won't know until we look in the rearview mirror. And so if you wanted to dabble near 70 and then add, and then just kind of wait for additional $70 copies to f like fill in behind it instead of grabbing $75 copies to try to push it up the chain and then grab a couple of 70s every couple of weeks for as long as that lasts, you're probably in good shape. All right. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, do you want to talk about our uh, Discord pick? So we've got Damone2 out of the Pro Trader Discord uh, suggesting a version of a card which we have discussed many times on cast, Smothering Tithe Foils from Double Masters 2022. He notes that there aren't a whole lot of the regular foils left on, on TCG Player. If we're looking at the Double Masters 2022 version, foils are 35 listings, no massive walls, Trending from about 25 to 30, and he's flagging it to go from that level up to 40 within the next 18 months. I think, especially given that he's giving a generous 18 months, that seems very, very likely unless they give it to us again as a secret layer. I would say the secret layer printing potential is real. This is a big enough card that it could easily catch another reprint. The Judge promo is currently going for $45, and could easily be a solid target here. If we look at the borderless version, which I think has the best art of all available options, the foils there are sitting at 
closer to 40 already with 60 listings left. Personally, I'm likely to target borderless foils ahead of regular foils, but the regular foils have been drawn down upon at a quicker rate. And as a result, there are less of them. So they may well turn the corner a little faster than the borderless foils. I'd also say that um, I don't think this would be in a secret layer anytime. I mean, it's got to be soon because they, they don't usually do secret layers of like super expensive, super staple cards. This is an anchor for a, a big reprint set like Double Masters 3 will be or something like that. They do it infrequently. We've had Rhystic Study in, in, the yeah, last, but... in the last year in a secret layer twice, if I'm not mistaken. At least once. At least and, once, yeah, the arcane. And they just gave us the Blightsteel Colossus secret layer. So we know they're willing to do it. It's just a question of how, which cards will they do it to five or ten times a year. And I think Smothering Tithe could very easily be one of those because it's such a big card in the biggest format. But they've just given us the Judge Foil and regulars and regular foils and borderless and borderless foils. So it could well be left alone for a couple of years. Yeah, and I can I can see why uh, it's a fairly modest and like difficult to argue with 24 to 40 on the regular frame foils uh the original ravnica legions foils uh they hit a, a higher price point if i remember correctly i would i think i was selling those for 60 or 70 at some point foils have been as high as 70 dollars uh last april of 22 before they got a judge printing and before they were in double masters yep so that that sounds right Alrighty, let's move on over to our Phyrexia All Will Be One set review. We're doing it a week later than we usually do, which gives us the benefit of hindsight on some of these early results. We're not just guessing which cards will be good. We have some initial information at least to uh, build upon uh, in terms of spotting potential specs. We're going to look at Pioneer, we're going to look at Modern, we're going to look at Legacy, and we're going to look at EDH, and we will kick things off by taking a look at the top cards for Pioneer. Uh, one of the cards that seems to be doing pretty well so far, given that mono white is a real thing in that format, is Skrelv Defector Might, which basically plays a Giver of Runes style role in the white decks, where they can protect key pieces of the puzzle with this 1-1 that also happens to have Toxic, so that if they leave themselves undefended, you might be able to get in, get a poison counter on them here and there, and you know if the game goes long enough, maybe you can put it away. Um, we've also seen some early play, not surprisingly, from Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, which is the by far the most hyped card of the set, and the one that is most likely to follow a similar path to Shieldred the Apocalypse. Uh, I suspect that Elish Norn will see play at least in Standard and EDH. Shieldred is basically everywhere. Mother of Machines is like a one-of in the Enigmatic Incarnation deck for Pioneer. So the question then becomes, is there a deck that would want four copies of her that would really help her float higher? There's also this problem in terms of the mom price point that there's so many better cards in Phyrexia All Will Be One. Overall, the Mythics are stronger than looking at Dominaria United, where Shieldred basically stood atop a heap. And, and was alongside Liliana of the Veil, and that's pretty much it in terms of top, top tier cards. And Mom has to share expected value with a bunch of other good mythics. And so I think that means she will underperform versus uh, Shieldred, but still probably be the top mythic in the set for 
for the duration. When you say top mythic, do you mean like most included or do you mean most expensive? Seeing the mo- the broadest amount of play and therefore the most expensive. Okay. Just want to be sure because there are, um, uh, counting foils and non-foils, there's a number, a ridiculous number of variations of Elish Norn uh, Mother Machines out there. And more to come because we have the oil-raised slick foils or something coming in the complete bundles in March. Right. Oh my god, that's in March? I thought that was so much sooner for some reason. No. It's it's being delayed, and that's and that's one of the problems is that had that come out this week, those versions would have sold very well. Given my results in selling singles, the complete bundles coming out with alongside all the rest of the product for this set would have been massive, because they would have commanded at least equivalent to step and complete versions, and those are coming out out of eighty dollar bundles where you get two. So if you hit an Elish Nor in it, you might have got one hundred twenty, one hundred forty for it, or something like that. And a lot like the Junji Ito I sold for about that price point, uh, foil step and complete. And if they come out in March, those prices will already have drifted down on all but, well, on almost all the mythics, including Elish Norn. So it's definitely going to erode the EV of opening that particular product. And that's why I've been telling people that pre-ordered those at 80, given that they're selling close to 180 on TCG Player, that they should absolutely pre-sell at some reasonable price point. Right and then be prepared to flip the day they get them. Just just don't even bother. Don't even bother when you can get this kind of uh, immediate return. Just do it and don't look back. It can be a little tricky to pre-order because different platforms have different rules about that. But if you plow through and, and set yourself up to do so, absolutely worthwhile. Sword of Forge and Frontier showing up in the sideboard of a couple of different decks in Pioneer that I've seen so far. It gives protection from red and green, which is very relevant in a format that has a lot of relevant red kill spells and uh, a mono green deck that is pretty persistent in the format where you may have to block something important. You've also got Tyranix Rex showing up in the mono green list and some of the red green lists in Pioneer. And then Ossification, which is a pacifism that can also hit planeswalkers is looking like a very important kill spell in the format i saw it show up in a bunch of different lists anywhere that it was running white was often running three or four copies because there are so many targets that this is worth hitting and not a lot of easy ways to destroy enchantments as opposed to artifacts uh, among the most top played cards in the format you know it enchants uh a creature an artifact or a planeswalker so it'll solve most of the problems that you're having and it's hard to argue with that at only two mana usually this kind of thing is going to cost you three but they've decided that this set needed the cheaper arrest variant that finally hit planeswalkers this is not oblivion ring this is two mana turn off uh almost anything else it won't kill and it won't deal with opposing enchantments and that's it there's also Phyrexian Vindicator, which is the white mythic that is the mirror image of Phyrexian Obliterator, which was reprinted here. And Vindicator is a 5-5 flyer for 4 white. Not easy if you're running 2 plus color decks. But if your deck can accommodate it, this any damage dealt to it gets prevented, and then it basically does the Boros thing where it bounces the damage back to another target. So I did catch a white deck uh, that had done pretty well this weekend that was running four copies of this. And if this started showing up as a four of in both Standard and Pioneer, and was seeing a modest amount of play in EDH, this could outperform Elish Norn financially, just because Mm. the Pioneer deck that's running Elish right now is only running a single copy. 
And right. obviously there's massive EDH demand for Elish Norn as well. But you, you to really be a home run like a Shieldred, you need to be a four of somewhere. Shieldred has been a four of in standard decks and black red decks in Pioneer pretty much since she was released. And so she has had a much easier time uh, overcoming the whole bunch of different versions she has available including the step and complete that came out in phyrexia all will be one i opened one of those and sold it for 73 dollars the other day within hours of posting it so that's pioneer's perspective is there anything else that's on your radar for pioneer from this set uh not particularly um i'm looking to see uh from this set no i'm uh, curious to see how the the new sets go and if people are trying to play uh, we're going to talk about Rot Piste in Modern. I think that people are going to try and make this happen with a lot of formats. And like especially when you have access to, to something like um, Finale of Devastation where you can tutor up the card uh, and you know have that many more spells to target it. But uh, no, I think this is a pretty good list. Over in Modern, I think a lot of people have had their eyes on the Mycosynth Gardens because of the Amulet Titan implications, but there's also potential for it in a bunch of the other artifact decks that have access to Urza Saga, so things like Hammer Time could use the Gardens to copy a hammer, which could be a pretty important thing, because a lot of the time people are trying to get the singular hammer that's on the board out of play, and if they can get it out of play, then they have a much better chance of surviving the next couple turns. But if you can use one of your lands to either go get another hammer via Saga or duplicate the hammer uh, via the the gardens, then there is potential there for the gardens to do work uh, outside the singular archetype of Amulet. We've also seen Venerated Rot Priest be the most hyped combo deck to come out of Phyrexia All Will Be One for Modern. It can kill very, very early if they get a, a decent hand. And I saw a hybrid list get posted in our Discord earlier this evening, which is a mixture of Underworld Breach elements, Underworld Breach Storm deck elements, and Venerated Rot Priest elements. And I suspect that might be where we're headed in terms of the penultimate or the ultimate version of the list. So I've sold all my Venerated Rot Priests in the low teens in the last week because I assume a rare is going to have to do very, very well in multiple formats to hold above $10, but could go the other way. Rot, if Rot Priest starts putting up result after result in top eights for modern, then it could end up being the Ledger Shredder, the Fable, the $20 plus rare of the set. So far, I think the jury's out on that, so I chose to sell rather than hold. It's hard to fault uh, a sell decision where you're getting such a return number. Like, you're not ever going to feel bad about selling in the teens for just, uh, I presume, a regular copy. It wasn't borderless, it wasn't uh, special, and it wasn't shiny. So you were just getting... No, I sold I, I sold ex two extended arts and a regular foil for about okay. the same price, 13 each. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, versions usually have close to the same price points. What what's there to say about a card that makes infect look slow? You know, you can really do uh, disgusting, broken things, and uh, I will be surprised if it is not a player going forward. And in terms of uh, combining decks, we've seen decks do very well that do that. Uh, we've seen um, what did Dark Depths get mixed with um, Thopter combo. So, like, there were decks that were trying to play two different infinite combos. So, why not jam Venerated Rot Priest into a Sahili Rai copycat deck? 
you know, let's, let's really make this a party when you've got so many different things that can, um, so many angles that you've got to attack from. And I, I think that this will have legs. I don't know if it'll have $20 regular rare legs like Fable or Ledger Shredder, but I think that, uh, it really helps that if you want to play this, you do need the full playset. You can't uh, mess around with lesser numbers. One of the other cards that is already putting up solid results um, in both Pioneer and Modern and, and probably Standard as well is Tyvar, Jubilant Brawler. This is the three casting cost Planeswalker at rare, not Mythic notably. Um, so the, the bar is set much higher in terms of performance uh, as it is with Rob Priest. Tyvar's big thing is that he is dropped on turn two you can uh, immediately untap a mana dork and cast another mana dork or a thought seize or something. Uh, it can mill and then put a creature directly into play, not into your hand. And so I was just watching Todd Anderson before the cast uh, playing this in Pioneer in a list where he was using um, the Priest of Forgotten Gods alongside <laughs> Woe Strider and... Uh, the Eldrazi that makes a Scion token when it comes into play. And basically he's he's getting three drops into play that make two creatures. Then he's sacking two things with Rot Priest. He's got Azulaport Cutthroat on the board. So he's getting draining triggers. And then he uses Tyvar to either untap a Mana Dork when appropriate or bring a Priest of Forgotten Gods that's been killed back from the yard to s- set the whole thing up again because Tyvar... Yeah, gives everything haste. So it's not that you've set up the priest for the next turn. They could kill it at the start of your turn trying to shut you down, and Tyver just brings it back, and then you can use it right away. So it's really hard for them to interact with that. They've, they've got to decide if they're trying to, if they got burn spells in hand, are they killing the, the Tyvar? Are they killing the priest? Is that going to matter? And you can generate a ton of value now the thing is if you watch that stream from today that todd has over on twitch in his second match of the league he ends up playing against a completely different tyvar build that looks like a combo deck that leans on an oracle win where he's putting morit from cal time into the yard and then he's got tyvar hails the elves or whatever the like tyvar saga Right. And there's some weird interaction where it makes a whole bunch of copy. Marit makes a whole bunch of copies of the saga, which keeps milling the yard. And then you eventually do the Oracle thing. And so oh, that means... Tyvar can bring back the Oracle because you've milled it. Oh. So, so that means that there is a Splinter Twin-like combo that is now possible due to Tyvar in Pioneer. And there are value builds. And it showed up in a Drew devoted druid combo deck that did decently this weekend in modern so i would argue that so far the rare that is doing the most work broadly isn't venerated rot priest or gardens it's tyvar now how that all shakes out and which of those three uh floats to the top uh, you know will be a developing story the other two cards that are on my radar for modern are Capricious Hellraiser, which most people seem pretty down on, but Aspiring Spike uh, seemed very hot uh, for up front. I watched his streams trying to break the card, wasn't that impressed. It, I don't think it's quite good enough for modern, but we'll see. C- certainly hasn't top aided yet. Spike's streams on with it looked very mediocre. I think he did say like off stream he had a 5-0 or a 4-1 or something, but I only saw three twos and two threes. 
So uh, jury's out on that one, and I'm staying away from it until we see more results. The final card that matters here is Minor Misstep, which is a counter spell for one blue, and it counters target spell with mana value one or less. So in certain metas in Modern and Legacy, this card can do a ton of work. But I think you're going to see it most often as a Pioneer Modern sideboard card, and it's only an uncommon, so I think from a financial perspective, you're talking about if it doesn't catch a reprint and sees a bunch of play, then foils are worth something in four years. They're already, uh, you know, uh, $2 something uh, uncommon foils. So it's going to be hard to get significant movement out of that. Uh, this, you know, the the key here is that it's spells with the mana value. Like, can you imagine if it was counter-target spell if one or less mana was spent to play that spell? Sure. And then you could go after the elementals. Yeah, that, make, that would make a big difference. That would make a huge difference. But as it is, this card is uh, very, very sideboard dependent. Um, do you remember uh, the days when Mental Misstep came out that like the main thing about playing Misstep was you needed it to counter the other guy's Misstep? Yeah. So that's that's if we get into this battle here, uh, that's that's where it'll uh, head towards. And in decks like we were looking at earlier with the um, Mercurial Spell Dancer, this is a card that will do a lot of work, but uh, you're going to look at it really sad when they're doing things like Expressive Iteration and it's two mana and you just wish it were any other card. And your card's dead. So, looking at Legacy, we've already talked about most of this. The cards to watch are Mercurial Spell Dancer, Attracts a Grand Unifier, and again, Minor Misstep. Uh, looking over at EDH, the top cards in terms of reported play so far, Elish Norn at the top of the heap, no big surprise. Mondrock, Glory Dominus, uh, in second place. Again, not surprising to me at all. I think that's what I would have chosen had I guessed before I looked. And the reason for that is that it doubles up on your tokens. We have this through Anointed Procession, Parallel Lives. Um, Doubling Season. Vorinclex. And so there's a anytime you're uh, adding that redundancy factor into an already popular series of decks, and it's a mythic, there's a very good chance that people are going to want to play this card, and indeed it's seeing tons of play. I would imagine Elish Norn and Mondrak will stay top five forever for this set on EDH Rec. These next cards, Veraska, Betrayal, Sting, Skrelv's Hive, and Skrelv Defector Might, look very much to me like people are building Atraxa, as we know that they are. And I think that they will fade as that uptick in Atraxa interest fades and people move on to other commanders. Coming in behind those cards, however, I think will be broader cards with broader implications that are at moderate reporting levels now, but will see broader play given enough time. Uh, these would include Unnatural Restoration, which is basically, it's a regrowth with upside because it proliferates. That just automatically makes it super playable. We've also got Canker Bloom, which I abused in my Maldrotha deck this weekend against the Pro Traders. It's a 3-2 for 2. For 1, you can sack it and destroy target artifact, enchantment, or proliferate. So it fits very well in creature recursion decks, fits very well in proliferation decks. Uh, poison decks and so forth it's it's just a general good stuff card in green for edh which means it's going to see plenty of play mica synth gardens is just as good if not better in edh as it is anywhere else because there's even more 
low casting cost artifacts for it to copy. And in the late game, it can do even more work because it's X tap. The gardens becomes a copy of target non-token artifact you control with many value X. So you can target a panharmonicon. You can target uh, a blightsteel colossus. You can target whatever if you've got enough mana. And that means that gardens is going to have very wide play patterns for a long time. Keep in mind, this is a this land taps to produce colorless by default. It's also a mana filter if you put one mana into it. So in a pinch, it can it can provide uh, color fixing. And then it's got this tacked on ability to copy artifacts, which is just only going to get better as more time goes on and it gets more targets. It's already really good. You can copy your soul ring. You can copy your mana vault. You can copy your mana crypt yeah. if you're feeling like you want to dance with the <laughs> devil and six... T- take six damage a turn sure like whatever you feel like doing the uh the gardens will get you there and it's it's hard to argue with uh the cards with the open-ended synergy this way so we also know crucible of worlds is a massive edh card and conduit of worlds which is the new edition in one is two double green for the same effect you can play land cards from your graveyard i slipped this into my Maldrotha deck this weekend was very pleased with the result because it has that tacked on ability tap choose target non-land permanent card in your graveyard if you haven't cast a spell this turn you may cast that card if you do you can't cast additional spells this turn so it gives you grind potential really really good in a Maldrotha deck but just good in general because if i have Maldrotha in play i don't really want to activate this it's more like they've right. killed Maldrotha, and I'm going to use this in the off turns until Maldrotha comes back. But in other green decks, this is just giving you graveyard recursion potential that you might not otherwise have. And it has the broadest of synergies. It works with everything. Um, right. Its default, its fail case is that it's a Crucible of Worlds for one extra mana. So currently it's only in 4% of decks, 1,700 reported. But I would not at all be surprised to see it float into the top five given enough time. We've also got the Eternal Wanderer, which is a rare Planeswalker people are are pretty stoked about. It's a beloved character. Uh, it's six mana for a five loyalty Planeswalker. No more than one creature can attack the Eternal Wanderer each combat, which makes it very easy to defend in EDH, where people can't easily overwhelm the Wanderer. Plus one lets you flicker something. Zero lets you get a 2-2 double strike. And minus four lets you destroy all of the creatures on the board. But you get to choose one creature that each person controls. And they get to keep those. Because you get to choose. That is a very flexible sweeper. And I'm sure will be quite popular given time. If it was a mythic, I'd be more interested in it as a spec. As it stands, I'll just be kind of looking at the foil manga step and completes. To see if... You know, there's an early opportunity to make money if it sees a ton of play in in uh, Standard and Pioneer. But so far, I haven't seen it really showing up in, you know, blue-white uh, control lists in Pioneer or anything. So I think this will be one of the many cards in this set that are going to float down on price. I agree with you on that. I'm looking forward to um, the pretty much the entire Dominus cycle. I can't yeah. wait for them to, to get cheaper because none of them are really bad. And a couple of them uh, really have the the chance to to go just bananas. Um, the red one, uh, Solfim, who doubles uh, the damage that a uh, non combat source would deal. Like you, you get that as a reusable. That effect already exists. I forget what it's called. Furn- Furnace of Wrath or Fire Furnace, Emancipation, yeah. and it, but it's, it's like your. It's only your opponents and. Problem is, you know, he's got the the worst of the indestructible cost because you got to chuck two cards, and that is a big cost. 
Sure, but you in red you might have reason to be doing that because you want to either recurse them, uh, or you're you're looking to discard madness cards or something. Tekathal. That, that's the black one, right? That's the blue one that proliferates twice if you proliferate. I think uh, that is going to be real niche, but also really really annoying. When it's going well, it's, off. It's niche only if you think attracts is niche because it fits right into attracts the planeswalkers and and poison. You got me. You got me on that. Like, it was played against us this weekend. It did work. Because every time they proliferated, it doubled. And Atraxa proliferates at end of turn. And if Tekathal is alongside her, then it doubles. Like, it's it's good. And it, it provides the redundancy you want to, you know, if you don't have a doubling season to make your five loyalty planeswalker a 10 and kill somebody instantly, it starts to grind up in that direction. And if you have three planeswalkers on the board, Atraxa and Tekathal, they got some tough decisions to make because they got to get in there. That's <laughs> true. Ha- has me looking again at Foil Norn's Annex, actually, because that's a Ghostly Prison variant that costs five, but it actually costs three plus four life because you can play two Phyrexian. And that one's tricky because when they attack, they don't just pay two. They have to pay one white or two life. Or the so life, if playing, yeah. So if you're playing against, playing against non-white decks, it's real sick because now they if they want to attack with four things, they got to pay eight life. No one wants to do that. So serious rattlesnake implications and and does a lot of work when you're playing Super Friends. Uh, speaking of your Super Friends deck, um, have you put Ickermoon Gauntlet in? I haven't yet, but it seems like it fits well. This is the two and a blue for an artifact that says Planeswalkers you control have zero pl- proliferate and minus 12 take an extra turn after this one. Whenever you cast an on-creature spell, choose a counter on target permanent, put an additional counter of that kind on that permanent. It's an auto-include. I just didn't open any in my CVs, <laughs> so I don't own one. But they're, and they're, apparently it's going for $20 or, or something like that, which uh, I think this is going to be one of the mythics that will drift down because it's not going to see any competitive play. Well, I mean, if Atraxa is, is... It depends on, like, which build of Atraxa you're going for. But if you're going for Super Friends, I, I would have a very hard time arguing with this card. It is going to be very good. And I think it's going to be uh, quite the staple. Like, there's going to be a very high... I forget what uh, metric they use for when two cards are played a lot with each other. I'm just expecting to see a whole lot of this alongside uh, Atraxa 1. And then I guess I would finish things up saying Sword of uh, Forge and Frontier. We'll see plenty oh, yeah. of play. Pro red, pro green. Whenever a equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. You can also play an additional land this turn. So, you know, it's got the card selection red effect and the explorer effect, and those are both good. And all the other swords see strong play overall. And so this one will as well. Can you believe there's only one sword left to go? Blue black. Can't wait. Alrighty. Uh, where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter, or you can find me on my weekly articles for mtgprice.com every Friday. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. 
Once again, MTG Pass Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week. James, you ready to talk a pro tour next week? I guess we will be. Enjoyed my discussion today, Cliff, and thank you and thank all of you for listening. We will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.